0: I'm your host, certified health coach, motivational speaker, sober since July of 2016, American Ninja Warrior competitor, two-time world record holder, and ultra marathoner, Matt Scaletti. Here we go. Welcome back to the Living
1: the Dream podcast. I have a very, very special guest with me today. You are in for a treat. This is Keegan Randall, and she is a United States Olympic champion cross-country skier. Just wait for this bio. I'm so excited. She has won 17 U.S. national titles, made 29 podiums on the World Cup, made five trips, to the winter olympic games and had the highest finish by an individual american woman at the world championships in 2009 she's been a major trailblazer and helped open doors to many other united states olympic athletes she and jessica diggins won the united states's first ever cross country skiing gold medal at the winter olympics in women's team sprint at pyeongchang in 2018 Since finishing her skiing career, she's become a cancer survivor, a mom, and a sought-after powerful keynote speaker. Boom! Keegan, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Well, what an introduction. Uh, It's great to be on here.
1: (laughs) By the way, that was just a mini part of the intro. I could have gone on that you have no idea the other things she's accomplished in her life, but we'll get into some of those. So, Thanks for joining. Do you want to just, let's jump right in and hear a little bit about your background and where you grew up and were you skiing since birth or, you know, give us a little bit of the background.
2: <laughs> well, pretty close. You know, we're all shaped by our stories and experiences and certainly my upbringing has, has played a major role in kind of helping me develop the skills that helped me excel on the, on the ski trails and then have helped me get through a few major challenges in my life. Uh, but I was on skis the day after my first birthday, my dad worked at an Alpine rental shop and he brought home the smallest boots and skis they had. We were in Salt Lake city at the time. So he built a small hill in the front yard. I'm also born on New Year's Eve. So born to fireworks and, uh, started skiing, uh, really before I could walk. Um, then those earliest, my dad used to tie a rope, take me up to the ski areas. Uh, so I just kind of got the feel early on. Um, Tried cross country at age six. I have to admit, I didn't fall in love with it at first, mm. but thanks to my parents and my coaches, they were clever in getting me to play a lot of games, ski up the hills so I could come down and go off jumps, and you know just developed a lot of the skills and um, the play aspect of it early on. As I've tried all these different sports, um, I had an aunt and uncle that went to the Olympics in cross country skiing, wow. and uh, so I, early on, I wanted to follow in their footsteps, I was totally gonna do a different sport than cross country, but you know, still that Olympic dream was born and tried a lot of different things. Got really serious about alpine skiing in middle school, Uh, right around the time that Peekaboo Street and Tommy Moe were winning medals for the United States. I actually uh, learned to ride a unicycle and named it Peekaboo, uh, (laughs) because she was just definitely my hero. Um, Tried speed skiing and uh, at around the same time, got into running. And as I got into high school, all my running friends started to do cross-country skiing. And so it became a challenge to try to do alpine and cross-country. And I just loved uh, doing things with my friends. uh, The skiing seemed like a great cross-training thing for running. Um, And then at the end of my sophomore year of high school, my coach moved out of town and I needed a new training group. I got introduced to this three-time Olympian who was starting this new ski program. And within a few weeks, I realized that cross-country skiing was actually the perfect combination of all the things I loved about those other sports. And I was really intrigued at the fact that the 2002 Olympics, which at that point were three years away, were gonna be in Salt Lake City where I was born, and the fact that no American woman had ever won an Olympic medal in cross country was like this open frontier. So, a lot of being active as a kid, a lot of dreaming big, um, You know, thankfully encouraged by parents, coaches, had a, having great role models, and just always just kind of trying things out. Um, but not always perfect though. Uh, there were some failures along the way. Uh, I was a mediocre soccer player and uh, was actually the alternate on the championship teams in two years of alpine skiing. Um, but I think that taught me a lot about grit and perseverance and and then ultimately helped me discover the sport I was meant to be in.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you just, you answered like 12 of the questions I was going to ask you. That was amazing. That was like so, so, so good. And I love, I just want to pinpoint two things you threw in there that I think are huge. Dreaming big and role models like the people that are around you and without without giving away how successful you've been in the skiing world even though we already kind of said how how important clearly for you and you mentioned the word grit I think how important were those early mentors coaches role models to your success do you think huge
2: because I think when you have a relatable role model especially you see someone else do it and you start to feel like, Hey, you know, I am like them, I can do it too. And so for me, I had, you know, my aunt and uncle and my family that were Olympians Uh, growing up in Alaska, we didn't have as much of the professional sports right around us. So the state really celebrated winter Olympians. And there was a a woman in town who was the top Nordic skier at the time. And as I started to get into the sport, she actually kind of took me under her wing. Her name was Nina Kemple. Um, I had all the Olympic clippings on my ceiling at home um, and so to me, like these big dreams always felt possible because I could see in the people that were out there doing it, a lot of similarities with myself. And I think that was really powerful. I think if I didn't have those role models, it would have taken a lot more to start to develop this, these ideas that got me so motivated to get out the door.
1: Yeah, that's a, that sounds like it's a perfect way to put it. And just because she already transitioned into skiing, I feel I should say This woman ran a mile in five minutes flat. I read that right, right?
2: You did, yep. And you're right. It was five flat point two. So my aunt, Betsy, the Olympian, actually set the Alaska State mile record at 4.56. (laughs) So it was always my goal chasing my aunt, Betsy, to run, you know, to beat her mile time. And I really wanted to get under five minutes. And my best attempt was five flat point two. So that is the one thing my aunt still holds over me. She has that mile record and, uh, you know, it's still on my to-do list.
1: Oh, that's amazing. That's right. It's never too late, right? That's
2: right. (laughs) Yeah. I think I got a couple more years. It's still possible.
1: (laughs) Yes, you do. You got that straight. Okay. So you, is it fair to say at around 16, did you then cut track and solely focus on skiing or were you still doing both uh, through high school?
2: No, fortunately I had this nice blend where, um, I, you know, I definitely shifted my mate, my biggest goals to skiing, which were, you know, in January and February. Um, but I continued to do cross country running for my high school team. Um, that was really important to me, uh, for, especially for the team aspect. Um, even though it's an individual sport, that's where I just developed this great amazing group of friends where we pushed each other. We were silly. Um, and we just had this awesome shared experience and we went, uh, we won state championships together um, I actually was a seven-time state champion in track um, and a three-time state champion in cross-country running, but I never won a single state championship in skiing because my arch rival and also best friend at the time won all four years. Oh so I think it was really important to do all three sports. I think I, I, I developed some things physiologically that helped me as a skier. Um, of course, the things I learned about being uh, an athlete, being a teammate – Um, All those things were super important. It made my high school experience really fun. And then when I really started to focus on training full-time at age 18 upon graduation, I was still fresh. And I think that's what contributed to being able to be in the sport almost 20 years.
1: Yeah, that's, was it, seven-time state champion? I mean, you're just like, and that's not even skiing. You should give, spread (laughs) around some of the talent and work ethic. Give some to us. You know what I mean, (laughs) Kiki.
2: It's all available for you, and we'll cover that as we go here.
1: <laughs> Aha, I like it. A little dangle the carrot. We'll see what happens yeah. later on in this talk. Okay, so <laughs> you clearly, I mean, you have a lot of momentum going for you as you're, I don't say going for you because you have earned it. It wasn't like it was given to you. Um, so walk us through after, or I guess towards the end of high school, was there a moment where you thought, oh man, I could be in the Olympics. It seems like a few years earlier you thought of that and then walk us through the process of making it to that first one.
2: Yeah, so I mean, when I first started to realize the 2002 Olympics were gonna be a year after I graduated high school, um, I would be 19 at the time. uh, It was a bit ambitious actually to think about making that Olympic team now that I know a lot about the sport because cross country is an endurance sport. People don't peak usually into their mid to late 20s. Uh, you know, you're going up against the best athletes in the country to make the team. And then you're going up against the best athletes in the world. Uh, but at the same time, they had just introduced this new event called the Sprint. It seemed to play to my strengths. Uh, it was kind of geared towards a little bit younger skier. And, and I just said, why not? You know, I make the push. I don't make the team. It's a great experience. I'll, you know, have something to build on in four years. But why not go for it? And um, I ended up qualifying for that team. Uh, winning the the sprint race at the national championships and I got to go to Salt Lake um, at 19 years old. I remember feeling like a kid in a candy store there, getting my Olympic uniforms, marching into the opening ceremonies as the home team with my video camera in my hand, just heart beating out of my chest. It was so incredible to like this lifelong dream to be an Olympian. Um, But then as I was there, I knew I wasn't going to be competitive for medals. I was there to gain experience so when a fast world champion would ski by, I'd hop in the track and I'd ski behind them. Oh. I probably trained myself into the ground during those Olympics because I was so excited. Um, my best result was 44th place. You know, nothing spectacular. But as I stood in the crowd and I watched actually a Canadian racer, Becky Scott, get, get a, uh, a bronze medal which was later upgraded to gold. We can get into that later. But, you know, watching a fellow North American stand on the podium, it was like, okay, you know, just because we've never won a a medal in women's cross country skiing doesn't mean it's not possible. And so after those Olympics, I sat down with the coaches and I said, okay, what is it going to take to be competitive for a medal from where I am now? And we mapped out all the steps. And by the time we had the plan, it was going to take 10 years. And I remember at 19 years old, that was very daunting. But at the same time, I could see how it was this stair-step process. And so I was also ambitious. I said, I'm going to get there way faster. I'm going to work harder than anyone's ever worked. But I'm going to follow this roadmap. And so then I just started on this trajectory of, like, these short-term goals each season, you know, ultimately building me up. And it was amazing how that just kind of took me through the invariable ebb and flows of, you know, being in a sport that takes a lot of time to develop physiologically and experience, you know, there'd be one good result. And then there'd be four weeks of being at the back of the pack. And it was just kind of like starting to get really good at finding success in the smallest places so that I could kind of keep building my confidence and then having these checkpoints to kind of measure my progress. Um, And surprisingly how just putting in the work, putting in the experience, uh, you know, it wouldn't show for a little while. And then all of a sudden you'd get hit the springboard and go up. So uh, looking back, I, it's just incredible the way it went. Um, <laughs> but to, to think that it all started back with that
1: roadmap—that's you just the way that you put it. It's almost like you're a keynote speaker or something. Oh, geez, yeah,
2: I have i had have had a chance to think about it a little bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You put your words so well. So the sprint event—can you for us non highly knowledgeable skiers—can you tell us what the sprint is and Was that your best event or were you in other events, at least early on in 02 and after?
2: Yeah, so cross-country skiing traditionally was disappearing off in the woods for an hour.
1: (laughs) You know, (laughs) these long
2: loops um, and then coming back. And while that was really cool for the traditionalists of the sport, let's be honest, it wasn't that exciting for the spectators. So they started really thinking about race formats and they wanted to come up with something that was more spectator friendly, was a bit more exciting. And so they came up with a sprint format where it was a shorter course, generally a kilometer to a kilometer and a half, usually takes around three minutes. Okay. You know, it's got some climbs, it's got some downhills, it's got turns. And you, everyone goes out and does a time trial. And then the 30 fastest times qualify for the quarterfinals. Those are divvied up six racers, six, racher, six racers over five heats. The okay. top two from each heat automatically advance. And that so that that gets you 24 into the semis, and then they have these um, other two lucky loser spots. And I don't think I'm doing my math right, but two more people advance as lucky losers, and so then um, it really is like really up the competition. And then from the semifinals, again, top two from each heat automatically advance, and the next two lucky losers, so that you ultimately end up with six in the final. That's where you race for the medals. So it's the sprint event it takes three minutes, which, you know, a 1500 meter runner on the track would be like, that's not a sprint. Um, (laughs) And it's an effort you do four times in one day to reach, you know, to reach that medal round. Um, So it feels like a marathon on those days, but it did, it was more dynamic. It was powerful. It's tactics, it's crashes. And so it really helped increase the visibility of the sport and lucky for me, it really plays to my strengths. I have power. um, I have quickness. I have tactics from all those years of alpine racing and so I started to excel at the sprint event early on and it only can, was contested at the Olympics for the first time in Salt Lake in 2002. So it was really this brand new event and then it's really grown into one of our most exciting, most, most watched um, events and it's always been my, my forte.
1: I love it. That, that timing, it's just everything did seem like it came together, which is, you took advantage of it too though. You've been working your butt off, it sounds like. What was the, just in 2002, what was the best moment Can you just, like, close your eyes and think of, like, boom, something that was just, like, oh, my God.
2: Ah, I remember being in the Stargate of my first Olympic race, and I was so nervous. You know, the butterflies were just flying around my stomach. Yeah, seeing all these heroes whose posters I still had on my wall at home, like, you know, warming up right beside me. So I'm in the gate, and as I'm about to go, a bunch of friends and family had come to watch because it was, so you know, so convenient being in Salt Lake. So someone yells out, go Alaska, like right as I'm about to go out the gate. And I took off like I was going to win the race. And then about 30 seconds in, I remembered, okay, this is five kilometers at altitude. Like you better pace this a bit. Um, So I, you know, I recovered from my initial sprint. Um, I raced my heart out that day and probably had one of my best races of the season for 61st place. And so I came back to the wax cabin and I remember like on one hand, like feeling proud of the effort I'd just done, like knowing I actually accessed a level I hadn't gotten to that season. But at the same time, it's the Olympics, and it's all about the medals. And so you almost felt like a little bit of a failure at the same time for like being so far off the pace. And luckily, I had a coach at the time who came up to me and just, you know, his first reaction was incredible race, you know, you just, you know, your technique really clicked today, you put it all out there. And that was so important, because I was I was on the teeter-totter there. I could have said it was a good race, or I could have said, Oh, I'm a failure. And his reaction helped me frame it as, wow, I just had a good race. And my time will come like I'm young, this, this is just to get my feet wet, I'm gonna get there. And I think, um, it, you know, for, for coaches that can be so powerful or apparent, you know, how you help someone kind of frame it um, can make such a huge difference. So that that day really sticks in my mind. And it has throughout my career.
1: That's a great point as far as the words and the encouragement or lack thereof could change anybody i would think especially at 19 years old. So it's just I'm glad you got the right people around you and it sounds like you were seeking out these people and that seems like that came together really well too. I love it. It is. It
2: is and i think you know initially i you know i i needed that encouragement from people around me but you know, after I did that, I went to that routine a few times. So I started to become that cheerleader in my own head. And as I was, you know, analyzing a race or performance afterwards, you know, acknowledging kind of those two sides that we all have in our personality, the good and the bad, but then choosing to say like choosing the good, choosing to say, okay, well, even if I didn't get the performance I wanted to today, there's things I can learn. There's always something good. You can find some little success. And if I didn't get it today, it's another chance tomorrow, and because of what I did today it's going to help me for tomorrow and I think so though that skill was something that I just kind of practiced and practiced and has just become an innate part of my personality now um, and and I think it's so crucial in things that are not athletically related at all now um, being able to acknowledge that conversation in your mind and, and steer it towards towards things you can do
1: that is a great point and I just have to say, I love how you tell the story and then you bring it back to how normal people like myself can use these ideas in our own lives. It's really, that's really cool. That's special. Okay, so 2002, we heard about we heard about that. There's many things you learned. And 2006, you were back at the Olympics. Can you just tell us from 02 to 06, did you have the same coaches around you? Were you training with other United States Olympians? And just kind of tell us maybe even like the average day from 02 to 06 on training and what was life like?
2: Yeah, I would say like 2002 was this big flashy highlight, right? Like at 19 years old, right out of the gate, I get to go to the Olympics. Yeah. But that's like the high, that's the highest level. So then you got to come down from that. You've got to like get gritty and you got to do the work. And so I was really fortunate to grow up in a place like Anchorage, Alaska, hmm. where I had a really good support system. So I came home from that Olympics, actually raced in the junior nationals, got beat by some of my competitors like the next week. Um, But I came back to Alaska. I was going to school at Alaska Pacific University, which happened to be where my club team was based. And so I got to kind of go to school. I was training um, the hours it took. I was initially working a part-time job, actually at a running store to make ends meet. Um, I was learning things about business, which in my school, which ultimately helped me figure out how to Get enough uh, resources to commit to training full time, so that I wasn't running to the running store in between training because that ended up being kind of pivotal. Um, so I just, I just really, things got simple. Actually, you know, it was about putting putting in the two the two training sessions a day, six days a week. You know, it starts May first, and you pretty much do that to the end of October. Um, so you're just you're putting you're putting money in the bank with all this training. Then uh, beginning of November, we would we'd leave and um, go start to hit the race circuit. And then every rate, every weekend, you're racing. And so you have to, that's when you're drawing the money from the bank. So you have to have put enough in. And when I was young, even though I trained from May first through October, you know, I still wasn't able to train the big hours, the top adult, you know, top racers were so I'd get partway through the season, and I might kind of crash a little bit, you know, I just couldn't quite put that performance together weekend after week. But every time I did that, that built a level of of strength and endurance and experience and so those layers started to tack on but as i'm putting on those layers i'm not seeing this like accelerated trajectory so the first couple years after 2002 i hit most of my goals but then in 2005 i'm at the world championships i finished dead last in the individual race our team actually gets pulled out of the relay because we're about to be lapped by norway And at the end of the season, the ski team, U S ski team announces they due to but financial reasons, they have to cut the entire women's program and development team. So I'm starting to seriously wonder if this metal, you know, track is possible. You know, the results aren't showing it. The ski team, you know, is not necessarily showing a lot of belief. And so it was tempting to say, maybe I made the wrong decision. Maybe I should just, you know, finish my degree and and go do something else. But I had that roadmap and I said, no, 2006, I want to go to one more Olympics I want to test myself. My goal is to finish in the top 20. So I, I said, I'm going to get through that, and then I'll evaluate. And, uh, and, you know, thankfully, the season started off well. I qualified for the team. I went to Torino, and I actually ended up surprising myself. I finished uh, ninth in the sprint. Wow. So I went past that top 20 goal. Um, it took a lot of mental um, focusing and stuff, you know, as, the, as I was there at the games to, like, stay focused on my process, to remind myself that I had done the four years of training you know, even though I was in with the big girls, like, to, to mm. just say, hey, you can ski with these guys, like get in there. So I ended up surprising myself. And uh, that result ended up qualifying me to make, make the World Cup team full time. And I reflected at the end of that season and said, you know, a few months ago, I was ready to walk away. <laughs> but I saw it through my checkpoint. And here I, I even surpassed expectations. And now I'm on to the next chapter. And it just that was like a really important lesson to learn. Because, you know, I feel like, every good thing I've achieved in my life has come after something hard where you're like ready to quit. You're ready to walk away. But if you have that plan, it kind of keeps you focused. And even if you don't quite hit the mark, you want to, you, you leave with no regrets. You, you know, you put in the work, you get to feel proud of that effort and you never know that your, your next best day might be just around the corner. So that, that ended up being really important. And then, uh, and then that set up the next kind of building block, which was being on the World Cup as the only US woman racing weekend after weekend, you know, getting my butt kicked. But again, getting really good at finding the success and just knowing that over time, I was going to build and I was going to get there. And then just before 2010, I kind of started to hit my next springboard.
1: Oh, this is so good. And I wrote down, everything good has come after something difficult. And that's so good. And I feel like Especially, you know, COVID with everything going on, we could use that to say, okay, maybe it's tough now, but what can I learn? And then, like you said, springboard onto whatever the next thing is. That's such a, oh, I love that line. That one's good. Okay, so 2002, 2006 are in the rearview mirror. What did, you, what was your mindset like going into 02 and how did it change into 06? And, how did your, what did you learn from 06 that maybe you didn't get out of 2002?
2: Big, big changes in mindset. I mean, going into 2002, um, I just, I was so new to that level of the sport. Like I said, I was, I was chasing my heroes down on the snow. Uh, I was feeling very, very far from the possibility of a medal. And then four years later, you know, I was nervous going into 2006 of how I would compare. But then I, you know, once I got in there, I was racing shoulder to shoulder with these women. And, and actually a, a fellow Canadian who I'd gotten to know really well, we'd been racing on kind of the same level. My friend Chandra, she won the gold medal that day. And so coming out of 2006, it was like, now I feel like I belong. And, you know, maybe it's not going to be another five years before I'm ready to compete for medals. Like I'm in it now. Um, So definitely a huge leap forward in confidence, Uh, you know, knowing I had the four years of training behind me, knowing that I would have, you know, another four years before the next Olympics to kind of keep building. The one tricky thing about our sport is that we have two techniques, um, skating and classic. And my best event is the sprint, but I happen to be better at skating. So in 2006, it was a skate sprint, you know, ninth place. Awesome. I knew I wouldn't get another chance at a skate sprint until 2014. So between 2006 and 2010, it was really about like, okay, I'm building experience. I want to be successful in the World Cup. And then I want to come into those Olympics, you know, showing I've made a step forward, but it may not be a medal because uh, to contend in a classic sprint for me at that time to get a top 10 was going to be a huge breakthrough. Um, So I had to kind of come into 2010 with slightly different expectations like, I knew I was, I was competitive, and I was there, and I wanted to, like, you know, get the team excited about what, it, what we could do, um, but I knew a medal was kind of an outside chance, and so um, I got to those Olympics. I ended up actually one-upping myself and getting eighth place in the individual classic sprint, which was a huge um, win for me, um, yeah. actually led the first leg of the relay and came in with the leaders. That was, like, another breakthrough of, like, wow, I can ski with these girls, and then, then, then I knew it was going to be a really exciting period from 2010 to 2014 as I built up into a chance to win a skate sprint at the Olympics.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I can't wait to get into 2014 and ultimately in 2018. One, one question regarding your mindset. Right before the gun goes off in any of these Olympic events, or any event, I guess, what is going on in Keegan's mind right before you're getting ready to rock?
2: Well, I like to call it being your own best cheerleader because the self-talk is just off the hook and it's both sides. It's the cheerleader reminding you of all the hard work you've done, that you're excited. This is the moment we've been building towards. And then there's that side that's going, oh man, your competitors look strong. This weather's tough. Is my wax going to work? And it's just about kind of recognizing both sides of the conversation and always turning it back to, no, you can do this. You're ready. You put in the work and just um, encouraging yourself. So You know, that starts from the moment I wake up that morning. Uh, When I get to the venue, it's about like my, you know, starting my process, which is the warm up and selecting skis. And I find that kind of working through that different parts of the process that kind of engages my mind and my focus for a while. And I'm, you know, I'm chattering to myself the whole time. But then when we get into the start pin, that's when it's like, okay, I've done everything I can do. Now I just got to go out and do it. Um, And so it's just reminding yourself that you're ready. It's kind of having a bit of a plan. Um, some kind of intermediate checkpoints that you're working towards to the race, and it's just yeah, being your own best cheerleader. And I'll tell you, like that, ne- you know, that never went away. Like my whole career, didn't matter how many Olympic races I'd done, you know, I felt those those butterflies. That conversation was there, but I just got really good at at being that cheerleader and just kind of talking myself through.
1: Uh, I th- I think that's so good because what what I heard in there was there is the negative side. And I think for anyone listening or watching this, I think everybody, you can't avoid that. It's just you smothered it with the positive and didn't believe in that negative voice. And I think that's just so that's a powerful takeaway from that. So good.
2: It is. And I think it stemmed from just like the recognition of all this, all the positive things were were actually things I could do. It was action oriented. Whereas the negative things were often things out of my control. I can't, change what my competitors do i can't change the weather but you know i can focus on what i'm going to do i can remind myself i've been through tough weather before so finding the things that you can control and going that gets me forward talking and dwelling on that other stuff that doesn't get me anywhere and Mm. and and there's always the question of well why can't it go well why can't i do that um and just choosing that
1: control what you can control right Oh, it's so and
2: good. Let go let go what you can.
1: <laughs> not I think that's perfect. That's such a great quote. Okay, so 2002, 2006, 2010, you're it seems to me that you haven't won a medal yet, but you're clearly improving in leaps and bounds. What happens in 2014?
2: Well, this is where things really got fun because I think after 2010 is when uh, everything really started to come together. I had the experience, you know, I was starting to get podiums on the World Cup, you know, race these women week in and week out, uh, feel like I belonged. And while I had been the only woman on the US team traveling around with a bunch of guys, I really missed having teammates. So I started really encouraging the top women in the country, uh, particularly this younger group of women coming up to like, let's get together, let's collaborate. And, and so that group really started to gel after 2010 um, coming into it. So it was kind of fun to kind of get to be the veteran of this team and bring these girls together on this adventure. We are doing all the training together. Um, And then, you know, I started to see success. In 2012, I won my first overall World Cup sprint title, which meant I was the fastest sprint the entire season. And that was was a huge confidence builder. Um, 2013, uh, Jesse and I teamed up, and we won the World Championship in the team sprint. That was a really incredible day, like proving that, you know, not only was I having the results, my teammates were joining me as well. And then it was all coming into 2014. And and that summer, um, they actually started talking about me as the gold medal favorite in the freestyle sprint. And uh, it was so cool to finally get the national recognition for my sport, to get to talk about what we were doing with the team, uh, to get to talk about the lifestyle of it, um, to come in with so much confidence. Uh, But it was also a lot more kind of extra stuff beyond the training than I was used to. And since I didn't have another skier uh, in my era to look to for experience, I had to figure it all out for myself. And, uh, you know, my coach and I and, and everybody, we did the best we could to really keep the focus on training, but yet utilize this awesome spotlight and these opportunities. So that was a very, very busy summer. Did a lot of crazy stuff, but came into the Olympics in 2014 um, like so confident, so ready. Um, NBC had a team of like 20 people out there that day to like capture history. Everybody was so excited. Um, on race day, it was about 60 degrees ambient air temperature. And I remember like the snow was like melting under our skis and they were trying to salt parts of the course to keep it from, from degrading too much. And these were the exact conditions that we used to get on training on the glacier in Alaska in the summer. And I remember so many workouts where I was so frustrated. I wanted to go back into the training center and just call it a day. But my coach would say, Hey, it's championship day. Like you gotta, you gotta test yourself in this stuff. Cause you never know. And here we are at the Olympics on like the day I've been looking forward to my entire career and I'm facing that. So that was like, there, there there's that cheerleader going, Hey, you've raced in this stuff before, you know how to do this. Then I get my quarter final heat draw and I'm in like the toughest heat, with two of the other me- metal favorites And I'm kind of going, all right, well, well, you race these women all season. Like you're you're ready, you know, stick to your plan. My coach and I decided the plan was to go out and try to hammer everybody on the main climb because that's kind of my strength. So I uh, took a little effort, more effort than I wanted, but I got to the front. I hammered up the climb. I was leading the race. Um, As we came down to the stadium, the snow got really soft and actually felt my ski come off the ground for a moment. But I think all those years of alpine racing like helped me kind of like, you know, keep it, things under control, not wipe out. And, um, and I came into the final turn, like leading, ready to kick it into my final gear. But then as we hit the home stretch, I kind of realized I'd already kind of burned my gear trying to get the lead. And so as we went down the home stretch, I was grasping at every ounce I could muster, like trying to hold it together. But I felt these two shadows come up on either side of me. And uh, just before the line, I saw a flash out of the corner of my eye and when I looked at the scoreboard, I, I realized I wasn't first or second, so I wasn't going to automatically advance. But I was in this photo finish for third, and they were announcing that we were the fastest heat. So we waited for what felt like an eternity. And then when they announced it, I had actually lost the photo finish by five hundredths of a second. And that ended up being the difference between moving on to the semifinals. Which then would have been, you know, moved on to the final to actually compete for the medals. So, this being this big hyped gold medal favorite, I get knocked out in the quarterfinals. And uh, I just remember being a little disbelief in the finish. Uh, my husband was there, my coach was there. We were looking at each other like we didn't know, but it was amazing how, like, in that moment, as I'm just letting this reality sink in, I, I like reminded myself of like the whole journey that had led up to that point and saying like, if you told your 2002 self that Mm. you would be in like a legitimate position to win a medal, like would you even believe that like here you were okay. It didn't happen today, but like you are here you're at this level. And, and by the time I left the finish area, I was already starting to kind of frame like how I was going to talk about this and how, really the effort and the journey is the biggest part. I mean, yeah, we, we want to get the gold medal, but I'm also like my light, you know, I'm still fine. Like I'll have another chance, you know, later on, I've got more races at this Olympics. Like this is going to be such a powerful lesson. Um, And, and that's really what it ended up being.
1: Wow. Five one hundredths of a second. Oh my goodness. I can't even, I can't even imagine. Uh, I just, uh, now Speaking of the Olympic experience, were you able to kind of regroup and enjoy the rest of those Olympics? Or was it like, get me home and out of here ASAP?
2: Well, the sprint was the first of four races I did at Uh those games. So I did the best I could to like literally like, okay, put that in the back pocket. Um, As I left the finish area, I ran over to my team because my teammate in her first Olympics had, had advanced to the semifinals kind of unexpectedly. So I like told her everything I knew about the course. I kind of tried to pour my energy into her. That was kind of like that helped me reframe things initially. Uh, Two days later, she and I actually teamed up in the team sprint. Um, We were in metal condition in metal contention about halfway through, but just again, didn't quite have the gears we needed at the end. So no metal Uh, a few days later, four by five K relay. We came into that event with a lot of metal hopes. Um, I skied the first leg three K into the race. I completely blew up. I lost like, 40 seconds Uh, just didn't have the gears. Uh, So there was another like bummer and then yeah, the final 30 K not my forte didn't have a great race. So by the end of those Olympics, I definitely was like feeling pretty beat up. Definitely feeling like the disappointment knowing I wouldn't get another chance at at an skate sprint for eight more years. So probably not going to get another Olympic chance at that. Um, We had three more weeks of world cup racing left in Europe. Um, We're going to, fly back. And I just I remember going like, Oh, man, like, I've got to race these women who just pummeled me, you know, uh, wouldn't it be great just to go hit the beach right now and just kind of (laughs) this all fade away in the surf. But I also was like, you know, like, that sounds nice. But I know in my in my head, if I walk away with a job unfinished, like it doesn't matter if I get, you know, beat up over the next couple of weeks, like I want to leave the season with no regrets. And it turned Mm -hmm. out that Doing those four races at the Olympics, like, helped kick my gears back around. I came out flying in the next sprint, won it, um, ended up having some of my best results of the season to finish off and win the overall World Cup Globe for the third year in a row. And uh, and I just was, like, so glad that I didn't walk away from, you know, just that disappointment. Like, you know, it just – at the end of the day, it's the satisfaction of, like, knowing the effort you gave that sticks with you. And I've always chosen to like see that through, um, you know, even when I know it might be
1: difficult. That is, there's so many great takeaways in there. I just oh, and I love how you said you helped your teammate shortly after you found out you weren't going to the next round. I mean, I'm sure you could have easily pouted and put your head down and said, "Good luck, I'm I'm going back home." But I think it just says such a big part of your character that you wanted to help her out and for the greater good of the team. And I think that's, that's huge. I mean, that's amazing. Um, so 2014 ends, I have to ask you just cause as I know you're an open book as we discussed earlier. And for, for any of us, let's say we're dealing with some negative on social media. I mean, for you, it was the actual media. How, how did you block out? Cause I'm sure there was some chirping about, Oh, you know, she blew it or she didn't. How do you block that out and remain focused on your job, what you need to do and just moving past learning from it, but moving past, let's call it the, the hate or negativity that's out there.
2: Well, I think it comes back to what can I control and what can, when I, can I not. And uh and again coming back to like the cheerleader too like the the self-talk just continues like after the race you're analyzing you're you're processing both sides and just constantly having to like remind myself like hey you came in as a gold medal favorite like you belong here you you i know i skied as hard as i possibly could i didn't i didn't back down i didn't give up like i saw it through and that's sports you know you you put it out there and sometimes you don't get the you don't get the gold and so i just kept reminding myself to be really proud of the effort. And I actually had made myself a promise coming into those Olympics that um, as long as I gave everything I had, I would walk away satisfied. And in my mind at the time, I knew that meant a gold medal. But I also kind of like was setting the stage for myself to say, like, if you gave it your best effort, you will walk away satisfied. And at the end of the day, that is the most important thing. So I think even as I'm talking to media and they're going, you must be so disappointed. You must be frustrated. You know, did you let your country down? Like, and of course, social media, there was, it was all over the map. But I would say for the 5% that wanted to be negative um, and tell me what a failure I was and who knows what else, there was 105% of people saying, we are so proud of what you've done. You know, thank you for being a part, you know, representing our country for bringing us along on this. I had a, a young girl who actually told me she, I I led, I lead these events called fast and female trying to inspire girls to stay in sports. And so I had led an event that fall and she had gotten a t-shirt from it with the fast and female logo. And she said the next day she was wearing her t-shirt to school, not because I won the gold medal, but because I had been so brave
1: and showed
2: that. And so like little stories like that, you're like, just because I didn't win the gold medal, like I still make a difference. Like, um, so I just really tried to focus on those things. And I think, you know, that's where, uh, you know, gratitude and perspective really come in because here I'm like looking around and like traveling the world with all these girls that have become like sisters to me. Um, my family's there at the Olympics. Um, and I did right after that race, I went and spent time with my family, you know, that night, the next day, you know, like we're at the Olympics, let's enjoy it. Like this is a once in a lifetime experience. Um, and so just really tried to, to, you know, you feel almost like you're just, you're hanging on to those things. Uh, that get you through it, and then pretty soon, you know, you realize, like, it was a race. You know, okay, I didn't get what I wanted, but I, I did all the things, and there will be more races. My life is good, and you just, yeah, you just kind of have to talk yourself through it until, until those negative emotions kind of eventually fade away, and the, the good ones shine through.
1: You are just a beast with the self-talk. I love it. It's just <laughs> such a great takeaway. It's just so... I mean, it's one thing for me to talk about gratitude, but when you have a gold medal favorite and you didn't get the outcome you wanted and you're still going to gratitude, that's just so, oh, that's so good. Okay, so this is, this is probably the most fun part, in my opinion. We'll see what your thoughts are from 14 to 2018, and can you just tell us about what happened? And were you the favorite? Because I know it's a different event. Were you the favorite going into 2018 as well, or were you two the underdog?
2: <laughs> yeah. So leaving the season in 2014, I felt like I had a big decision to make. Uh, by that point, I had been in the sport full time for 12 years. Um, I knew I wouldn't get a chance at my best individual event for eight more years. My husband had been patiently waiting uh, for me because we wanted to start a family. Um, okay. you know, and we, and our, our family, uh, trajectory had really been dominated by my training and my racing. Um, so it was like, well, you know, a, am I done? Like, you know, I've had a pretty successful career. Maybe it's time to start the next chapter. But then at the same time, like the team had been developing and we were just getting to the point where we were, it was really just fun. Cause you put in the hard work and you're, you're racing at the top of the world. And so I tried to kind of just see it from different angles and go, well, maybe it's not an either or maybe there's a way to do both. And I, I did feel like I wanted a season after 2014 to like go and prove to myself that I, that I was still capable of winning medals. We had a world championship next year. Um, I think I maybe carried a little bit too much emotion um, and drive and then managing all the sponsor things that were coming off of uh, that Olympic year and then trying to get fast and female off the ground. And I, I, you know, I, I was burning the candle at both ends and I, I had kind of a flat season in 2015. Um, just I was just overtrained and overstressed. Um, but then after that, it was like okay, like we want to start a family, so you know, wanted to kind of explore that. But you know, you never know what's going to happen, so I kept training. Um, luckily, uh, in August, I got pregnant, and then I, that meant I was going to take a season away from racing, hmm. which was you know n- not easy to do. But at the same time, I was excited, and um, I was able to keep training a lot. I I kind of used that same open-minded approach to pregnancy because there was no book to tell you how to do it. But I thought, well, why not? As long as I listen to my body and I have a good team of people around me. And I was amazed at what I was able to do. Like I wasn't trying to be in top, top race form. So whenever it came time to like pushing that red line, that's, I would back down. But I was able to do a lot and train and I had a great winter. Then I came back and rejoined the team in 2017 with my family on the road you know, as a new mom, uh, my husband was working on the world cup tour. So we brought, we packed up rec and we, we traveled on the road as a family for five months. Wow. Um, We had parents come over and help us out. And it was, it was slow progress at first. Like I remember a month into the first race season, I, I was like, man, maybe I've made a big mistake and maybe I'm not going to make it back to this level. I'm dragging my family around here. Maybe it's time to be done. But I said, no, I've got into the race season. Like I've got another big race series coming up in two weeks. I'm going to see it through that. And then I'll evaluate, you know, I just needed to give myself that. And sure enough, like that two week training block went great. I kicked around and the rest of the season was literally better every week. And by the end of that, I won ended up winning a bronze medal at the world championships. And I got to take my son up on the podium with me.
0: Aww. And,
2: uh, that was incredible. And that was like, for me, that was the validation. Like, okay, I'm back. Uh, and now I've got a year long run into 2018. I knew that would be my last season, uh, because I had, um, you know, I wanted our family to be able, to, we wanted to expand our family. We wanted to like, you know, be able to focus on my husband's career. So I just, you know, I knew, okay, 2018 is going to be my last one and I'm, I'm all ready to go. The one thing I didn't anticipate was that this team of young skiers that I had been helping build and cultivate over these years, they had all gotten fast. <laughs> and so as we went into 2018, all of a sudden it was like, I wasn't the star on the team anymore. Like my teammates were, were really strong. And all of a sudden it was like, well, I want to be on those relay teams in the Olympics, but I'm going to have to, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. So it was interesting coming into that season, like going, like, I have these big goals, you know, I want, we, the team sprint was definitely an event. Our team had focused on as well as the four person relay, but it was really about like making my own team, which was the biggest goal in the first place. And, uh, and then things were looking pretty good starting that season, got the family on the road again. And then uh, just for Christmas, I developed a stress fracture in my foot. And suddenly, while all my teammates continued to do their training and preparation, I had to s- step back put a- with a walking boot on. I was training in the pool, aqua jogging, using my upper body. Like on one hand, totally freaking out that this was my last Olympics. And I was literally, you know, this opportunity seemed like it was floating away. But at the same time going like, hey, you've been here before. Focus on what you can control. If you have to aqua jog in this little Swiss pool under the diving board, like you do what you have to do. So that again, no regrets, you walk away. Um, So I went into the 2018 Olympics, like literally not knowing if I would get a chance to race, Um, just being ready for like any opportunity I was given, you know, ready to fight for it. Thankfully, you know, three, three weeks before the games, the doctors kind of concluded like I wasn't going to do any more damage to my foot, it was going to hurt. But as long as I was okay with that, just go for it. So uh, you know, I got the clearance to race and I, my shape was like literally getting better every day, but whether or not he was gonna be in time to qualify for that team sprint. And then the team sprint itself, we were, we were considered for a medal, but I wouldn't say we were the favorite. Everybody was talking about Norway and Sweden because those two teams were literally some of the best skiers of all time. Norway had Mart Jurgen 15 time Olympic medalist, par- partnered with the defending sprint champion from Sochi. Sweden had the, the, the sprint champion who'd been crowned in 2018, Steven Nielsen from Sweden, paired with Charlotte Kalla, who's a multiple-time Olympic champion. So, like, everybody was talking about the Clash of the Titans, and then there was kind of us, like, well, maybe we could get in and get a medal. Um, but at the same time, like, Jesse and I won, we were world champions in 2013. Like, we knew if we put together the right day, we could be right in there. And so when I did finally get the nod that I was on the team – uh, the butterflies were off the hook. The self-talk was in overdrive. Um, but I also was like, you know what, this is my last Olympic race. Um, I get to be here. I know I'm a mom now, so, you know, I know that there's a lot more in life than skiing. Like skiing is an awesome part of it, but there's, you know, win or lose. I have a happy baby that's, you know, excited to see me. And, um, so I just went in just like, I get to do this and I'm going to give it everything I have, roll my eyes back in my head if I have to. But I'm just so excited, and we had our relay socks on. I had um, had my hair dyed pink in the Olympic Village. Um, like it was just like, let's do this. And uh, and as the race unfolded, it just it was amazing how things clicked.
1: Oh, that's so good. And How important? So it's Jesse Diggins, right? How important is that relationship with her and and friendship? Is that important, or is it all business? And you don't really need to be friends outside of that?
2: Well, what was so cool is, you know, I really credit my time in high school for developing this idea that, you know, in an individual sport where you literally compete against each other, um, you can be friends, you know? And and by, by, by like, developing that friendship, you can have that friendly competition that raises the bar for everybody, but you also have these, like, goals that are bigger than yourself, like contributing to the team and sharing the experience. Um, And so I wanted that. After high school. And so when I was the only US woman on the team, I'm like, I want to help create that because I don't want to do this alone. I'm not going to reach the highest high if I am am doing this solo. So started to kind of develop that. And, um, you know, I was driving us to train together and stuff. But we had this um, coach that came in, Matt Whitcomb, um, who challenged us to like really not just work together on the snow, but to really develop those strong bonds outside of training. And he always phrased it as, you know, you're, you're kind of like siblings, you know, you don't get to choose your siblings, you know, sometimes you don't get to choose your coworkers, but you guys are all in this together because of, you know, the nature of, of um, competing and everything. So why don't you support each other like siblings, you know, like why don't you get to know each other's ins and outs? How about we commit to these team goals? Um, Because if we do that, then we might be able to harness a power that lifts us above the Europeans who compete during the week and then they go home and then they come back. But we're like this family unit traveling along. So we, we bought into it, we believed it. And, and, we, and we worked hard to cultivate that. And we had a lot of fun, we did music videos and we just, we really developed like this, this group of sisters and you know, you're like sisters, you know, occasionally you do, you do get on each other's nerves. And uh, you know, like I was, the, I was the veteran and here come in these young ones and now all of a sudden they're starting to like, you know, challenge me and stuff. But I just, I knew that lifted us all up. I loved having the, the camaraderie and the competition. And so for Jessie in particular, you know, she's nine years younger than me. And when she came in, we call her the sparkle chipmunk. She is all energy and flash and confetti. And, um, but I just, I loved her energy. And so it was really cool when she and I got the team up in 2013 because she's this young rookie and she comes in and, you know, uh, we'd had a couple other like learning experiences earlier that season, but we came in, she skied great. We win the world championship. Um, I skied the second leg. So I got to cross the finish line, you know, for the win and, and then fast forward later to 2018 and now all of a sudden like Jesse, Jesse was a legit leader of the team at that point. Cause she was near seconds for medals earlier that week. So I just, you know, I, we got to be on this team together and we realized that the last time she and I had teamed up and done this team sprint together had been 2013 when we won the, the gold, we were really into the show Glee at the time. So that morning we pulled out all our favorite Glee clips and we just we kind of just like believed in this special power that we had with the two of us, and you know like we're really close with all our other teammates, so I know it could have been any two of us, but I think we could have tapped into that and said, you know like wait we we've had each other's backs for years, like we're ready for this, and um, and so to be able to go out that night and like you know we'd practiced our tags, so it was all unspoken. We just we didn't have to say anything to each other. We didn't have to talk about medals. We just did our thing, and and it just unfolded beautifully, and then. The the best part was you know when she crossed the finish line, um, and we got you know we had this moment in the snow together and then we jumped up and our entire team was right there, and we just got to all share this together which to me like in all the things I've seen and experienced is just blows any individual race out of the water like that that team that, that all the stuff we'd been through together, um, you know all that we had believed in each other and support each other and the fact that my teammates who could have easily been in my position you know, who could have said, Oh, I didn't get named the team. And this is too hard to watch. You know, they came out that night and they were cheering their faces off for us and they were there to share in that moment. And they, and they have, you know, they have celebrated in the success with us. Um, They have handled it. So, so incredible. And um, I just, I've been amazed. And I just, you know, I, if I had been in that position, I would have been ready to be on side the fence cheering them on. Um, And that, that is just the, the highlight of my career. And, and why I've learned it's always worth putting the effort into other people, even if they're your competitors, because it, it lifts you up, it lifts them up, and it makes the whole experience just that much more meaningful.
1: That is very, very well said, as everything else has been as well. Uh, what, a, what a moment. When, just a quick question, when do you find out it was going to be you and Jesse? Is it like days before or how does it work?
2: It was actually 36 hours before. And this was a particularly difficult decision for our coaches because, because everybody on the team was so strong. And, and they were really taking their time to like pick the two of us that they thought, you know, we knew Jesse was going to be on the team because she was skiing fantastic. So it was really down to that second spot. And, um, and it kind of came down between me myself and my teammate from Alaska, Sadie Bjornsson. And so, you know, we're, wait, we're in pins and needles waiting to hear who they're going to choose. And uh, it's 10 o'clock at night. We're sitting in the, our room in the athlete village, Sadie and I, we're watching another event on TV and Matt walks in the room and you can just kind of tell from the look on his face that like, he's ready to tell us who they've chosen. And uh, of course, you know, he lays out the decision process and everything. And he ultimately says they have chosen me um, for my experience and the, the there's a climb on the course and that's really my strength and whatever. And so in that moment, the emoticons in me are going like, pew, pew. <laughs> like this is the best news I could possibly hear. But at the same time, my teammate who's sitting next to me has heard, she's not going to be on the team. You know, she might not get it, you know, she's not going to get a chance at a medal. And in that moment, I think I witnessed the most amazing show of team spirit I've ever seen because she turned to me and she said, I believe in you as much as I believe in myself. What can I do to help? And she, she just, she, from that moment, she, she and the other girls were right there with us the entire time. We, we all went out and did a workout on the course the next day. Um, you know, practicing tags. And then the morning of the race, we all went out for a team jog and just, and I know, I know how hard that was for her, you know, to get that news. Cause I've, I've been on the other side in 2015. I didn't, you know, I didn't get chosen for the team sprint when we were supposed to be defending our world title. And I sat on the sidelines and I watched and uh, I know it's hard, but just the fact that she just, she dug in, she supported us, she celebrated um, and then, and she's continued to be just such, Um, such an amazing teammate you know ever since it's that that was the magic of what we'd cultivated over over years and I just I just wish that Sadie and my other teammates could have the gold medal because they were just as much a part of it as Jesse and I were that night
1: that's just that's one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard I'm so glad you just shared that because how can I help is how she responds when like you said, I'm sure she was devastated to at least an extent. What a story. Oh my goodness. What was, and then we're going to transition into your life post skiing, but I have to ask one last thing. What was the best moment? And here's me trying to act like I'm an Olympian, which I'm going to be in curling in about 20 years, just so you know. Anyways, (laughs) was it, was it the moment that all the girls were hugging. Was it the national anthem and just seeing your nation's flag go up? Was it holding the gold medal? Like what was, I'm sure it was all of them, but I mean, is there one that sticks out?
2: I hate this question because it is so hard to pick one moment. That, that is the best among all. But I mean, I would say like when Jesse and I got up, up off the snow, we ran over, you know, and got just the hugs from our teammates and, you know, the coaches were there and they're, uh, uh, my husband was right there in the finish. Like, you know, he had been in the finish with me in 2014 when we looked each other in the eye and just went, Oh my God, you know, and there he was. And it was like, we did it. And, uh, and the team was right there. And we just, we had like this crazy celebration, like, you know, the grown men were crying and we're celebrating. And then all of a sudden it was like, Oh crap, the men's race is going on. Like, you know, quick, like our, all <laughs> of our techs and coaches had to like re like reboot and get ready for the men's race. Um, so that was really an incredible moment. And then, um, you know, when Jesse and I walked out onto the medals podium, um, and, uh, she had wanted to do our team dance on the podium. And so I had been so nervous about doing the steps, right. I hadn't totally listened to the instructions. And so we get to the team dance and I don't mess it up too bad. And then, uh, you know, I lean over and they, you know, you feel the weight of that metal come around your neck. And I did not, totally unprepared for how heavy it was. I almost fell off the front of the podium, um, <laughs> But, you know, as we're standing there and, like, you're feeling that weight around your neck and you're looking out and you see your family and the whole team was there and you watch that flag be raised and you hear the the national anthem. I mean, just, like, that whole career flashes through my eyes, like, back to 2002 again when it's, like, shoot, is this possible? Okay, let's make the map. And sure enough, like, you know, it took 16 years, but it happened. And then to also know that, like, now the door is open. Like, now – American skiers know it's possible to win gold medals. And, uh, and I get to like, you know, finish my career on the highest of high notes with a, t- you know, with a team event like this. And then I get to now watch and see where it goes from here. It's just, it, it's, it's almost like a story, like
1: a fairy tale. That's exactly what I was just thinking. I mean, you go from five Olympics, and I mean, you could have won a medal in the second one, and then you know, then not one. But it's like the ultimate peaking at the right time, right after 2014. Of you know, it was a tough loss, and this is just—it's insane that your life has played out at least in the Olympic world like this. I mean, I'm just so happy for you, and I—I'm sure it's. 38,000 moments were the best moments. So thanks for trying to narrow it down to the one. Uh, Okay. So, well, just because you said, you know, you're this trailblazer, how much joy do you get in now helping out build this United States ski team? Because it seems like it went from not much to a world power.
2: Yeah, I, I think I just you know I'm so happy that I got to you know feel like I left the sport better than when I started, um, you know to just know that like all the things that we like knew were possible along all the things so many people had worked for um, that we'd ultimately able to like validate that and now um, the power of belief is so incredible. I mean, you know, once I won my first World Cup, I know a young Jesse Diggins all of a sudden was like, hey, I want to be a skier, I want to do that you know and now you think of the people that are coming behind Jesse who are you know going i'm going to be the next Jesse Diggins and you know and 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 it's happening like our men won the relay at World Juniors the second year in a row we got our first ever individual win at World Juniors by a, a kid that grew up in Anchorage uh, that I know really well so you can already see the tangible effects of what we've been able to create confidence wise. And so it's so fun for me to know that like the sport will always be a part of my life. Like my focus was very much on my goals, but now I get to shift and say, what, take that experience and how can I help the next generation of athletes, you know, not have to learn everything themselves, like, you know, put them forward, you know, how can we garner the attention to make sure they get the support they need? How can we use what we do as cross country ski athletes to inspire people to be healthier and, uh, active and outdoors? Um, like, it's just, it's, it's so cool. Um, all the things like, it's not just about the gold medal. And that's where the road stops. Like, that's just one checkpoint. And now it's, it's going all these other directions. And I just, I selfishly, I love that I get to get up now in the middle of the night and see American skiers winning races.
1: <laughs> I don't know if that's selfishly. You, I mean, you had a big <laughs> in, in being the trailblazer. I think that's so great. I love your honesty as well. So you, you win the gold medal. Clearly, this is I mean, an athlete's dream come true. And then what happens shortly afterwards, uh, maybe a few months afterwards, anything you want to share there?
2: Yeah. So from the moment we from the moment we won the gold medal, it was just like fast forward. I mean, uh, 12 hours later, I found out I'd been elected by my peers to the uh international olympic committee athletes commission Oh my God. um so i got to um like go in front of the ioc and get you know inducted into as a member and then uh, i got to take an oath on behalf of the athletes to thank the volunteers at the closing ceremonies and then you know we, we, uh, jesse and i went to new york city and we did like a media tour for a couple days and then we came back and tried to salvage the final three weeks of our season and you know i did my last national
1: championship was race with was that ryan seacrest and kelly i saw that video
2: it, it was it was you know like you know it's just a little taste of what the celebrity athletes get to do but it was super fun to again just be able to talk about our sport and our team um you know live it up a little bit and then it was like all right you know after it's funny after three days jesse and i were like all right let's go back to racing like we, we miss our last lifestyle um we, we got to see hamilton which is actually really cool J- jesse's agent somehow pulled some strings and we got to like see the show meet the cast afterwards so some oh. pretty incredible perks um And then we, yeah, we came back over to Europe and I hadn't seen my son for a month uh, because he had been with my uh, husband's parents during the Olympics because it was just too expensive and crazy to have him at the Olympics. Um, So it was really great to be reunited with him, you know, race the final three weeks of World Cup, which for me, I, you know, I wasn't like really competitive necessarily. So it was more just about like soaking in those last few races and you know, celebrating friends and doing my victory lap and then came back to the US and did my final national championship. Um, And that was like bittersweet, because it's like, it's the last one. Um, But that was cool. And then, uh, you know, did a little tour like with L.L. Bean in in Maine, and then came home. And then it was like a week of celebrations in Anchorage, like they were having Keegan week, like there were people were doing drink specials and donut specials, and there was a big parade downtown for all the olympians and so that was crazy and then we had decided that we were going to move um to follow my husband's job so we literally like packed up the u-haul a week later and he started driving and then a couple days later we came down here to bc and started setting up like our new chapter and i was you know like so excited like i love you know i love skiing but i was just happy to have ended on a high note and now to be able to focus more on family and career and be in this new place and uh it was it was Mother's Day, just a couple of weeks after we'd arrived, and we'd had this amazing day. Here it was beautiful, and getting ready for bed that night, I just happened to brush past this small spot on my chest that was like a like a pea under the skin, and I almost missed it. And it was just like, wait a second, I don't remember that being there. Um, you know, it would have been so easy to be like, ah, whatever. Um, but I was like, yeah, that's not right. So I should get a check just to rule things out. And I um I w- marched into the mammogram department, and they kindly let me know I needed to be referred. So went to a walk-in clinic, took a few weeks to get scans. And the whole time I'm like, it's nothing, you know, I feel fine. But also kind of had this sinking feeling. And a couple weeks later, uh, I got the word that it was cancer.
1: My goodness. I mean, so I think you're the first gold medal winner that had cancer. Oh, man. So you find out that (laughs) it's cancer. I mean, what are your... How do you do after that? I mean, you, you look amazing. I would have never known anything. Um, but how was the treatment and um, how was life after hearing that news? Well,
2: it was, a, it was a crazy mix of emotions. I was actually in Sweden when I got the call. I had traveled over for my World Cup friend's wedding. Oh. I was on the way to the wedding and they called. Um, so for a couple of days, I did my best to kind of say, okay, that's that's reality, but I'm here. I'm going to enjoy this because now more than ever, you're like, I got to appreciate the experiences I have right here in front of me. So I started to kind of process the like disbelief of like, how could this be happening? Like I feel amazing. Uh, And then the frustration of like, this isn't fair. Like I just finished my career. I'm supposed to enjoy this. I've done all the right things. I've taken good care of myself. Like what? Um, But then also kind of letting that athlete frame of mind started to kick in and go, okay, well, this is the reality. So this is just your newest challenge. We're going to create a plan. we got to build a good team, and we're just going to get through this like you've been through so many things before. And, uh, you know, I knew this was going to be the bigger um, because there was going to be a lot more out of my control. Like I couldn't just, like, outwork it or outwill it. Um, But I also just, like, really focused on things I could do. And so right away it was just a lot of details. Um, You know, fertility was a big concern for us because we, like, wanted to expand our family. So the first thing on was to try to um, preserve uh, some embryos. So we worked with the, the great team at Seattle Reproductive Medicine, and we were able to get an IVF cycle done, and um, we ended up with one little embryo um, that was kind of like our hope, and then it was right into chemotherapy, because um, we discovered a positive lymph node in my armpit, so it was on the move, so that meant chemotherapy up front. Uh, I was docked for six rounds, which were going to be spread out every three weeks, so that was task number one. Then after that, we'd talk about surgery, and then after that, it would be radiation, so I knew I was into it. And um, as I headed into treatment, I wanted to make a couple promises to myself. One was I knew that staying physically active was going to be important because that had, that had carried me through so many other challenges in my life, like just the physical side, but the mental side as well. So I said, you know what? I don't know what, how I'm going to feel, but I want to try to commit to 10 minutes at least every day. And uh, you know, maybe I can do all the things I want to do, but maybe 10 minutes will be a struggle. But if I commit to 10 minutes, then it'll at least get me out there and if at the end of 10 minutes I'm tired, well, I'll, I'll respect that. I'll turn down. And so thankfully, you know, a lot of the days um, I felt like my normal self. Like I rode my bike to my chemotherapy sessions. Um, <laughs> I actually would stop at the gym along the way and do like a really crazy hard strength workout because I knew I felt good. I didn't know how I was going to feel afterwards. And then I'd ride my bike home. And usually I'd have like two, a day or two where I'd feel pretty good. And then it would the, the side effects would hit. And I'd feel pretty crummy for about a week. Um, and that's where that 10 minutes became important because I'd be laying on the couch, like feeling miserable, feeling sorry for myself. And then I go, nope, you said you were going to do 10 minutes. And so I'd, I'd go out and usually by the end of 10 minutes, it was like, okay, I, you know, I I feel okay. I could probably do 20 and then 30. And, and then it was amazing how sometimes that turned into four hours. (laughs) And what I found is, you know, physically, even if I wasn't feeling super great, like at least I wasn't thinking about how awful I felt. I was being distracted by friends and family, and I was outside. And then I was also getting like this little bit of like victory, like an achievement, you know, for having gotten out there. And then usually within a couple hours, like that little bit of activity would kind of kick me around, and I'd be feeling better again. So that ended up being very pivotal for me. Um, and actually, you know, letting my body be the guide, I actually was able to do a lot. Like I, I was active every day, I continued to do some intervals, I continued to do some strength training. Um, I just always said, you know, if if, if my body's telling me to rest, I'll rest. And um, so I did that. And then the second really important piece was just committing to staying positive, to saying like, okay, this is, this is crazy. It's scary, but I'm going to choose to be hopeful. I'm going to choose to say, I am not the normal patient. I am not the statistic. You know, there's no reason that I can't, you know, the treatment won't be effective and I can get back to like having a long, healthy life and doing all the things I want to do. I don't know that for certain, but I'm going to choose that. And so staying positive however however I could, some days that came natural. You know, my, my, I certainly have that practiced uh, frame of mind. But there were days when I really struggled to be positive, And I would let myself think about the statistics and get scared, look at my son and wonder if I was going to be around, you know, to see him grow up. But in those moments, uh, what really helped was I had actually – um, been tricked into buying these rainbow colored shoes on Instagram, um, back in, uh, before the Olympics when I had the stress fracture. And so I had these rainbow running shoes waiting for me when I got home. And I said, I'm going to wear those to my doctor's appointments because I'm going to need that little reminder to just stay hopeful. And so I'm wearing these shoes and, you know, it's, it's helping me like reframe and get in the moment. Doctors and nurses are smiling when they see them. And so my husband came up with the idea of like, well, if, if these are helping, maybe We could come up with something that you could, we could get put out for other people that would help them stay hopeful coming against some big challenge, whether that's a medical issue, you know, some sort of setback or adversity, or maybe like they're tackling something big, a new career, a pitch, a a race. Um, So we, we worked with L.L. Bean, which has been one of my longtime partners. They created these awesome pink headbands and then they couldn't do the socks. So they turned us over to Darn Tough and we created this like really happy sock. It said it's going to be okay on it because that's what we kept saying to ourselves. And we decided that we'd sell them through my website and we would donate $2 from every pair to active against cancer, which is an organization I had ironically gotten involved with before I ever knew I'd have a personal connection to cancer. Um, That's what helped kind of like really trigger that idea of the physical activity. Um, So it was a great way to like give back um, to put something out there that was going to help people through stuff. And the stories that started coming in from people right off the bat have just been incredible. So that was a little project. Um, and so I like to say that, you know, because I had, um, you know, a, a kind of a plan to work off of, I had this great medical team of people um, uh, and then the team of people that just kind of supported me and kept me going. And then, you know, those little positive reminders, like it got me through six rounds of chemotherapy, two surgeries and eight weeks of radiation. And um, you know, I'm just, I'm really grateful today to say like, as far as I know, I'm cancer free and uh, my hair's grown back and you can almost not even tell I went through it. And I'm just incredibly grateful for that. I feel like because of this experience, my perspective has shifted to like, what am I doing with my day? Where can I have the most impact? What's most important to me? You know, live, live for the moment. Cause you just never know. It doesn't matter if you're an Olympic champion, like no one's invincible, but because I was so strong coming into this and, and all these things that helped me as an athlete, Help me through this, and now I have this opportunity to go out and share that experience, and help so many people that you know have to face this as well. Um, so it's just it's been an unexpected chapter in my life, but has actually a lot of silver linings, and um, and it's become a bit more of a like a new a new platform for me to have an impact.
1: Jeez, this is just it's amazing, and it's amazing the positive spin you've put on so many different what could be seen as setbacks in your life and I told you just before we started recording but my wife is a 15-year leukemia survivor and she said cancer was the I think this was the first date we went on she said cancer was the best thing that ever happened to her and I was like how could you ever say that and it's similar it's exactly what you're both saying it's a bit you overcome it and then you give back to others it's just I wrote down commit to 10 minutes and commit to being positive. And I think that's a big takeaway for anyone listening or watching. If you're trying to get into exercise, you know, maybe don't start with 90 minutes the first time, think of something two or five minutes. And you made such a great point Keegan with once you're there for 10 minutes, Oh, why don't I stay for 15? Why don't I stay for 25? And it just builds upon itself. Right. Yep. Uh, Oh, it's,
2: it's so important. Yeah. And it, uh, I've had to even use it, you know, post treatment a couple of times to like kickstart myself because I like to say that now I'm not a professional athlete. I'm learning how to be a normal person and I'm (laughs) learning how to balance family and sleep and exercise and career and all those things. And so sometimes it's like, I need those things. I need, I need that predetermined commitment that I've made to myself. You're going to do 10 minutes. So Mm -hmm. it can be nine o'clock at night sometimes. And it's like, you said you're going to do 10 minutes, like do it so that you can check it off, keep the streak going. Um, And, uh, and I've all, yeah, it's, it's amazing how powerful little things can turn into big things. So,
1: yeah, you say that so well too. And it's, it's the truth. Just, uh, (laughs) I wasn't, I I don't know if we were going to bring it up, but I have to bring it up now, since you said you with the socks and everything, tell everyone where you can go because now it's more than just socks and headbands on your website, right?
2: Yeah. So it's, it's turned out to be, you know, a fun little brand that we're building that it's going to be okay. Uh, we call it the Keekin store and it's really easy to find. You just go to keekin.com K I K K A N.com. There's a shop button on there. Um, nice and easy. Things turn around pretty quick in a couple of days. Um, we've actually have two versions of socks now. After I finished treatment, we came out with a 2.0 that's like more of like a New Horizons kind of sock. So for our our sock fans, there's now two versions of socks. There's uh, some neck wraps. There's some some mugs that'll keep your drinks hot or cold. Um, And $2 from every item we sell goes to support, um, you know, it's been active. We took a little break and we've been supporting a COVID relief fund over the last couple of months. Um, You know, we'll kind of see where that goes. But um, yeah, $2 from every item goes to support something very important. Um, and they're just, they're great. They're uplifting. Uh, they make great gifts. Um, and, uh, and then we encourage people to share how they're using the products with us on, on the hashtag Hello Keegan.
1: I love it. It's just so good. And it, it seems like there's this theme in your life that you've always found ways to add value to other people, whether it's your teammates, even if you just lost a tough race or helping out these other people that are battling cancer. It's just, I love it. So. I appreciate you because you're doing so much good in this world, and I think that's a big reason I couldn't wait to talk to you um, but okay so we're we're wrapping up the final five is what I call it. You know I just want to tell everyone too, because now you're keynote speaking i don't want to forget to bring that up and do you want to mention that, and if people want to have you speak virtually too, I think you're doing virtual speeches, um, maybe just a quick I think we know what you're going to talk about given what all you just said, but maybe a quick snapshot of what you talk about and if you do virtual presentations.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, the benefit of having uh, all these years of experience is, you know, over the course I've, I've seen a lot of different themes play out and seen um, the tools that can be effective and maybe the things that can hinder progress. And so I love, I love to talk about overcoming adversity you know, using uh, optimism and resilience. Um, I love to talk about how you, how you can goal set to, to achieve big things or, or break something big and complicated down into something that you can literally tackle one day at a time. I also love to talk about building a team. And, you know, that has a lot of parallels to business and education because, um, you know, you don't always choose your coworkers, you don't always choose um, the people that you're surrounded with, but if you can harness the power of collaboration, um, not seeing your your coworkers or or even people in your same industry um, or other teams as, as always competition like you know there's ways to harness friendly competition but ways to build that will enrich your life in so many ways uh, that you can't even imagine and it really grows the pie for everybody so um, I love to talk all sorts of themes I got lots of fun stories to share um, and really um, enjoy the chance to get in front and you know I was doing it in front of a lot of live audiences last year. But with COVID, it's you know forced us to be creative here, and um, you know in some ways, being able to do presentations over um, online formats, whether it's Zoom or GoToMeeting or any of those platforms, um, it's a great way to reach people that are you know need this message more than ever right now. Of uh, you know what things can you do right now that set yourself up for the future you want, which you know is on that horizon right now. We can't see what it looks like, but we can do things today that are gonna that are gonna make it what we want. So um well, people can reach out to me through my website Keegan.com. Um, there's a great way to do that i would love to talk to you about sharing sharing these stories
1: yeah we got to keep getting your message out more and more you hit the nail on the head now more than ever well thank you for all of that and Keegan, keegan's son has been hanging out he's amazing i love him he's four years old does he want to be in on the final five final five here we go five quick questions to wrap it up Keegan's got to go hang out with her son and I got to let her do that. Um, just five quick ones. If you can answer in like one or two sentences, we'll, we'll wrap it up. How do you want to be remembered?
2: Um, I, w- I want to be remembered as someone who, um, you know, led by good example and, and really worked collaboratively to help kind of lift everybody up and, and live our best lives. Um, you know, whether that's talking about being physically active, um, talking about like taking on big challenges, um, but just really having a zest for life.
1: I love it. Somebody else has a zest for life there too. I can tell. <laughs> what, what are you most thankful for?
2: Uh, I'm most thankful for the amazing people I have in my life. Uh, you know, the highs, uh, you know, celebrating those wouldn't have not have been as high without them. I certainly would have got there without the amazing people in my life. And even the, the just the most simple moments of watching my son grow up, um, spending time with friends and family. Like if anything, cancer has taught me uh, how how many amazing people I have in my life and how precious every moment is
1: yeah that's well said and it is those simple things sometimes right that are just the best part of the whole day what mm-hmm. is if I see Keegan I think I already kind of know this because you alluded to it but if I see you at a wedding reception what is your go-to dance move
2: whoo go-to dance move uh- <laughs> <laughs> I do love to dance. Uh, you know, I, I go all over the place. Um, (laughs) I did learn to floss, uh, as part of the, um, team dance. So I'm pretty proud of, of my floss these days.
1: I love that. I just want you to know, I asked that question to everybody. Nobody has said floss yet. So you're, you're, there we go. All right. I got the,
2: I got the monopoly on it.
1: (laughs) What's been second to last one. What's been the biggest obstacle you've overcome?
2: I think the the biggest obstacle has been um yeah, I mean I think cancer is the thing that's probably tested me the most so far, just because it's really challenged my ability to be positive and resilient um to see beyond the short term discomfort um but it's also because it's been the biggest challenge, it's also maybe made some of the most important shifts in my life and given me this awesome change of perspective, and you know i don't I don't have mediocre days anymore like doesn't matter what the weather is doesn't matter if I go for a run and don't feel great it's like I just I'm so lucky to be here I'm just gonna make the most of it
1: I don't have mediocre days anymore I love that oh that's so good okay last one who is your hero
2: uh, well I've really been channeling channeling Wonder Woman lately um mm-hmm. just love you know the, her strength and power and, and celebrating a female superhero um but I mean I think I have some incredible heroes in my everyday life uh, it's it's really hard to pick just one because um, I think I, I just kind of pull a little bit of something from everybody. Um, but you know I think being being open to role models they're everywhere. Um, it's amazing how you can you can just pick up things and then you know when you can relate to that person then it gives you the power, confidence that you can do it too.
1: Oh I love it. Well said. Well thank you so much for your time. We know it's Kiken if somebody wants to follow you on social, are you active on one platform more than another? Where should people go?
2: Yeah, I think I do most of my stuff on Instagram. I'm Keek Animal on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I've got Facebook athlete page, um, but you know it all it all kind of links to itself. So yeah, if you want to kind of follow the day to day. Uh, Instagram, is probably the best platform.
1: Instagram, check her out on Instagram. You've been, (laughs) this has just been incredible. There's so many takeaways. I love how you're clearly this ultra athlete, but then you also give takeaways to anybody, whether they're just starting out with exercise or they've been an athlete or business person, whatever. So I appreciate your time. I appreciate all your insights and just being so open uh, for the last hour or so. So thanks for coming on Keegan.
2: My pleasure. You know, we, we all have these, uh, these qualities within us. Um, we choose to harness them. We can do great things and we can get through just about anything. So, um, really fun to kind of analyze and talk about all this stuff. And, uh, it'd be fun to follow, uh, who else comes on the show.
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate your time and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of living the dream with Matt Scaletti. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you.